Hey everybody, welcome back to another installment of Heal Section. I'm so happy you guys are rejoining us uh, for the thrilling conclusion to our interview with one Eddie Wittern. Before we get to that, a few housekeeping notes. If you could do us a solid, go on iTunes, subscribe to us, give us a five-star review. That would be amazing because the more you subscribe and give us five-star reviews, uh, the more that our, uh, our podcast continues to go up the rankings. And that means you get more episodes. So it's a win-win for everybody. Also, follow us on the Instagram, on the Twitter, on the Facebook, all at Real Heal Section. And if you're looking for previous episodes, maybe you're new to us. Maybe this is your first time listening to us. At which point, allow me to say, hello, it's a pleasure to meet you. Why don't you find the back catalog at HealSection.com and help yourself to a few more episodes. See if you like us. Maybe you do. Worst case scenario, you've got something else to listen to as you pretend to do work at work. And really, that's the American dream. All right, guys, I think you're done listening to me. Let's get back to our interview with one Eddie Wittern. He's going to tell us a little bit about the documentary he took part in, as well as some more crazy as shit stories from his, I guess you could call it eclectic lifestyle. We hope you enjoy the thing that I want to know is more about this documentary because again, yeah, I think it's yeah. super importante. I think it is, it's on what, uh, what the hell you, you, Vimo, I think. Yeah. When you told me, you're like, I don't know how to pronounce it. I was like, Oh shit. I don't think I know how to pronounce it anymore either. You just took it away from me. It's on Vimo. Uh, yeah. Vimeo. Is it Vimeo? Vimeo. Thank you. Yeah. The E you say the E. Yeah. You do say the E. Okay. Okay, so it's on there. It's for you can rent it for a dollar ninety nine. You can also buy it for I think seven ninety nine. And here's the nice part: it, it, it. Who made this? Did you have somebody within the military help you make this, or did you guys export that? Because uh, when I saw it, it just it was cool to see that it was the three of you guys uh, getting that, and that there were three people who were connected. So you were telling us how you guys all kind right. of got grouped together, but. How did the yeah. experience of making that go? And at what point do you guys decide a documentary is going to be the thing to do? Okay. So uh, they were talking, they had the idea about how to tell a story about us. And it's a unique thing using, using pro wrestling to deal with PTSD because a lot of us have problems in crowds. So what's the opposite of having a problem with the crowd is being in the damn center of a crowd. Right. So, you know, and having to, work through your shit to deal with other people's shit and all the other things you have to do with being up in front of a crowd and being this larger than life personality who none of us really are, or at least we are, but at two different levels. And so all that stuff. And then we got the, uh, he got it together and he, the, the guys it's Royal Goblin production. So it's Jan's uh, friends from Waco who are also uh, independent movie, movie makers and stuff like that. And they have other projects they work on and stuff. And, the documentary they wanted to get and they uh, they wanted to film us doing our thing like how we train how we how we interact with people and then talk to us like whatever we need to do if we needed to drink we needed to to like sit in the, in private and just like film us and have us like the, the list of questions that they wanted us to go over and then just go off and say what you know what we felt like the people needed to hear about how to deal with it right so the, the documentary format uh, was what they wanted to use because they felt like that was the best way to get the narrative across without getting too much into other things. Like you could have done that as a movie, I guess, but then it would have gotten in its own way of the storytelling because 
you would think, oh, well, it's just a movie. This isn't real. And a lot of it seems like it's stranger than fiction. You know, if you think about it, okay, these guys have PTSD. They have issues with being in crowds. They're up in a crowd. They're in a crowd. Like, they are the crowd. You know what I mean? And uh, so you, you kind of put yourself in a position where you have to sink or swim, you know? And that was what they were trying to get across. That we're doing this because we all have friends that we lost. We all have uh, people that we know that, that can't do it. So we're, we're up there doing it for them. And that's how we we deal with it. That's how we, you know, we, uh, we get, a, get ourselves through the things that are terrible, through the training and through the fighting and through all the stuff that we do to make us who we have to be to be that person. And um, that was what they were trying. That's why they, they did the documentary thing. They followed us around. Um, they had our, they had, they came to class, uh, one of my jujitsu jiu- classes up in um, Austin that I went to, filmed the class from back in the side. And then they talked, filmed, they interviewed a couple of my buddies. Then they uh, pulled me off and then did the interview with me. And uh, that, that was kind of hard. And then they were like, Hey, so the sound wasn't good. So we have to redo your entire interview again. Oh, of a bitch that was because you think right you're, you're you're talking around stuff that you don't want to talk about right so you can't just so you're and it, it's really hard to talk about yeah and then in, in that in that thing you're like i know what i'm trying not to say so you're trying to you have to think about what you're not wanting to talk about to not talk about it you know and then later watching it knowing what i was really thinking because i'm you know i'm that guy i'm not the other guy i'm this guy so then i'm you know all that stuff it was uh, it was very interesting. It was uh, hard seeing it in the theater when we went, did the documentary, like the premiere thing. I couldn't sit there um, through part of mine. I had to go down to the dressing room and and uh, like recompose myself because it was it was kind of difficult, like listening to me and hearing what I was talking about and stuff like that. Is it still that way? Yeah. Um, because I, you know, eventually it'll get easier. I've only seen the documentary the once. So, you know, I'd only had to deal with myself, like watching myself talk about that stuff once. I imagine it'd be easier if I had done it more, you know what I mean? Or if I'd seen it more, you know, seen it more times, or if we'd been on like a, I don't know what they call that, where they they screen it in a bunch of different theaters, you know? Yeah. I haven't seen my my interview on that documentary enough to be used to what I was saying, if that makes sense. It does. Cause then eventually you get used to it. Anything over a period of time, you're like, okay, this still sucks, but you know, I can, I'm better at counting sheep or whatever you do in the meantime to, to kind of ignore it. I mean, if there's you being nervous about that or, or, or having a, a reaction to it where you're like, maybe I'm not ready. Was it good to see the stories from your friends or, you know, you said that they did them one-on-one. So were you able to kind of take yeah. yourself out and like kind of get a better perspective or maybe, maybe even a different light on these people that you do know already, but that you get to know them even more on an intimate level in that form of reveal on yeah. documentary. Yeah. It, it, um, I explained it. It's kind of the same thing, like going through somebody's bathroom when they're not home, <laughs> you know, it's that level of intimacy. You're finding out stuff about them that you wouldn't know otherwise. You know what I mean? And it was, it was very hard. Like, and now I know it sounds funny, but it was really hard doing that in a, in a crowd of a hundred, you know, I think we had like 150 people or whatever at the premiere and knowing they're all sitting behind me. I'm up there talking about stuff that really bothers me. And I'm like emotionally vulnerable right now. So that was really difficult. What was the most surprising thing that you found about their experiences? Um, well, I guess overall the, the, uh, 
the the profound part was that we all had this experience of feeling helpless in some form or fashion. That that's what that was the the binding like uh, the thing that was the same with everybody. The PTSD did in fact come from something we couldn't control. You know, whether it was Bryson taking indirect fire every day, whether it was John watching a whole bunch of kids get blown up on a on the side of the road. You know, it was me losing patience and and seeing my friends die in other places where I couldn't help them. You know, it all was stuff that came from us not being able to save people or not being able to, to influence a situation that we were directly involved in, you know? And uh, you, you listen to anybody talk about PTSD and how it, how it affects them personally. And that's uh, a story you're going to get, whether it's a rape victim, whether it's a, a victim of um, some other violent crime, you know? They're in a situation where they can't control the situation. They they become powerless, and that's where the the PTSD comes from is the inability to um, control a situation and that feeling of helplessness. So it it was interesting seeing from their perspective what happened to get them to that point, if that makes sense. It does. Um, I mean, yeah, and that's got to be again, like you mentioned, uh, seeing that in a crowd and and. Uh, having that experience with one another. Did you guys talk about it afterwards? No, no. Um, it was, I don't know how you say it, how, uh, how you say it, but like there was, uh, after that, we didn't really talk to each other about anything. We went up on stage and we, we thanked the crowd for being there and told them about how much it meant to have, uh, be able to share that with them. And, uh, that the situation, you know, uh, what it was that you know we were going to come out we're going to come out and hang out with everybody and stuff like that but really it was a kind of um how do you call okay so it was kind of like an understood thing we were all uncomfortable and we knew that we were uncomfortable so rather than point it out and basically hey hey look at you you're uncomfortable oh i'm uncomfortable you know what i mean we just kind of let it go and it's like we all know after this we're going to do our thing and then we're going to go back to our families and girlfriends and and then we'll be able to decompress. But we didn't want to, we knew we were all in the same emotional place. So rather than push it, we just kind of let it go. I don't know if that makes sense or not. It does. I mean, again, it's it's hard to okay. cross those bridges. And I mean, it seems like, uh, especially maybe to put it more into context, whenever you go to like a movie premiere out here in Hollywood, it's become a little bit more mundane where it's just like, oh, do you hear that audience reacting? Right. Oh. You know, Robert Downey Jr. is high-fiving Chris Evans being like, oh, that scene with you is immaculate. You know, this one's right. a little bit more – it's it's gritty and real even though, you know, people would look at it as pro wrestling and think, well, that's one thing. But there's a whole metaphorical context right. of what it means to you guys as a former release and getting over and getting through and uh, that that process never ends. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. I was going to say I would equate it. Um, in a small kind of way to Chris Luttrell or Marcus Luttrell uh, when he watched the, uh, and he was involved in the Lone Survivor movie, even though they, they highly changed it from his personal experience, the fact that he was involved in that and happened to talk on camera to his dead homie had to have been a, uh, you know, a psychologically difficult thing to deal with, you know? Yeah. So I, I imagine it'd be more, more like one of those documentary premieres in our humble little way. I know none of us were in that desperate of a situation, but PTSD has no determiner on scale. You know what I mean? Uh, one of my good friends, he got, he had PTSD to the point where he wound up uh, losing the fight with it because of uh, 
one of his buddies wore the wrong, wrong underwear on a mission. And he wound up, uh, he wasn't even there when it happened, but he told them, hey, don't wear that. It's not fire resistant. Oh, hey, it's okay. Then the, when that guy's truck got hit, he was 95% burned and died. And uh, my, my buddy couldn't deal with that, that he had told him and didn't do something about it. You know, that powerlessness that I lost a friend because I didn't do something. And then he, you know, eventually he did lose the, the, the fight with PTSD. So it, it doesn't, it's, there's no set formula for it. Yeah. And then going through the situation, you don't know how it's going to react or how you're going to react to it. I mean, there are guys in the hit, uh, World War II guys went through crazy traumatic experiences and didn't bother them because they were able to dissociate in the moment or whatever. There's other guys that, you know, it, 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 it wrecked them and they never had to go, they never had to relive it again or, you know, so it's really, really hard to say how it's going to, or it's very personal, I guess would be the better way to say it, how it's going to, re- how you're going to react to it. This is intriguing to me because I want to know this. When you talk about how it is something difficult to describe between you and your friends, then you get to an aspect of, well, it's going out and other people are seeing it. So I'm curious, are there people who have been affected by PTSD who have maybe sent you messages? Yeah, um, I've noticed this more lately since the, the documentary went out uh, public and there was a lot more people seeing it. People that I didn't know were fighting with stuff coming up and saying, hey, you know, um, just come over. Can I talk to you for a quick second? Yeah. Hey, you know what you said about compartmentalizing and being able to move forward and you not and come to terms with uh, some of the stuff that I said about how you deal with PTSD. They're like, that meant a lot to them. And I'm like, yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I, and it just kind of like people dealing with stuff and telling and that I didn't know were also fighting that fight. And then people coming up to me and telling me that they're, that if I ever need anything, guys that I would never think that would, uh, I don't know how you call it, that I wouldn't think would be like that coming up telling me, Hey man, if you ever need anything, man, let me know. And that's uh, been an awesome thing. Like people are, uh, there's a, the guys that see it that are genuine good people. They're uh, having, a, they're, I'm having positive support, positive feedback from it. And then the people who need help, I'm able to point them in that have reached out to me. I've been able to put them in touch or give them the, give them some encouragement or the advice or something to help get them through their, uh, their personal struggle. You know, I don't know if that answered the question or not, but that's, uh, how could it not, how could it not answer the question? It's such a, I mean, we're from the edge from the outside looking in on our part, you know what I mean? It just seems yeah. that anytime right, you can but... help somebody mentally refocus, because you're going through the same thing, whether it be, you know, it's almost like a during, you know, not post-traumatic. It's almost right. during. How do you deal with it during? And I think that's where you turn to wrestling. It helps you help with the mental refocus and other people see right. your story. And they try to they can relate to that aspect of it, but on a on a bigger scale because you're I mean, you're doing it. Right. And I, I mean, hopefully I know there's people that are that are dealing with stuff and I know people have a lot of everybody has their own personal battles to fight. You know, nobody's, nobody's stuff is any worse than anybody else's. Nobody, you know what I mean? Because everybody has to deal with it on their own. At the end of the day, you and the guy in the mirror have to come to some agreement, how to get yourself from point A to point B. Right. And so um, that's one, the way that I focus on it a lot. And I try to talk to people when I give them advice, it's like, Hey, you, you gotta be you, you gotta, you're the one that's got to take the one foot and put in front of the other whether you have through religion, whether you have through focusing on working out, whether you have it through focusing on family, whatever it takes for you to get from point A to point B, that's the right answer. 
as long as you're being productive and you're not being self-destructive, or if you're even if you need to be self-destructive once in a while, but you put it in a little box. Okay, I, tonight I'm gonna go get I'm gonna go get reckless, but I got somebody to watch my back so I don't do anything stupid and I don't get in trouble. Okay, great. But, you know what I mean? It's about being responsible, knowing that I'm a different person now. This person has to get from point A to point B, and I need to get them there. You know. Raph, if I ever uh, whine about er- anything ever again, can you just replay that last, you know, like two minutes for me? So I will I just... do one better than that, uh, Mike. I'm actually going to get a, a physical box that I'm going to put you in. It's going to be your little kennel. How dare you? Uh, I've learned, you know, I have a new puppy now, so I have to, I have to work with those sorts of things. Um, oh, I went, went up a level. Absolutely. You know, Eddie, when I hear you talk about this, I feel like it's a it's a good catharsis. I feel in time you're going to have even more things happen. I feel more people will get the opportunity to see this. They're not only going to understand you and, and why it is that you do what you do, but uh, I also feel it's a good way of paying it forward. You know, one of the things that I hear so often uh, from, from vets is that you carry that weight. And so I feel like, you always wonder what you can do that's positive that can help, uh, you know, make those good influences to others or let them know that they're not alone. And I feel that's one of the, the best right. benefits of this documentary is you guys are reaching out to other people and letting them know that you found your thing. And uh, we want to let right. you know that I, right. I think it's phenomenal that your thing happens to be one of our things, too. And so even though we may not <laughs> well, I appreciate that 100 uh, percent understand your story there's a level of connection on a Venn diagram where we get to see this cool thing. And we also get to ask questions like why the hell a clown get up and why clown makeup? Because I know you're helping some people overcome uh, some areas of uh, good mental health and, and going on that path, but then other people are terrified of clowns. All right. Yeah. Like mostly that's a, go ahead. Like people are mostly scared of clowns. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, well, you know, uh, the clown thing started out as uh, kind of a... I, I don't care. I've always been a fan of Captain Spaulding and the Devil's Rejects, right? So um, then I watched one of the Batman movies. I think it was Batman Begins, the Christian Bale one where Heath Ledger was the Joker. And uh, I uh, watched a fan theory about how... They talk about he was uh, supposed to be a combat veteran, and that's where, he, where his face got screwed up, and that's why he's comfortable with explosives, doesn't care about money, and just wants to basically be a hooligan. Interesting. You know? And uh, you look at it, and it's like, okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. And then you rewatch it, and you realize he's not the bad guy in that movie. You know, It's like what he wants makes sense in the, the weird context of, okay, you're a PTSD veteran, and everybody, the whole world sucks. You just want everybody to be equal. Okay, you know, there's a. Sorry about that. Give me one second. Talk about the Joker, Captain Spaulding. No, the Joker. I just picked the Captain Spaulding paint because everybody does. Everybody does Joker stuff. And the Captain Spaulding is a more of a more of a fringe character with the paint. And That's to why be I picked fair, that. you know, I've heard a million different theories about the Joker, but I've never heard this one because it would also explain. Uh, I mean, some people could be good with explosives, but I think you have to be pretty good. Right. Uh, to figure out how to put two people, <laughs> uh, two different sets of people on two different ships uh, and have that sort of acumen yeah. and, and also a kind of fuck it all attitude. I mean, 
uh, that story could check out. I mean, especially in the idea if he doesn't give a fuck and what he wants to show is at a certain point, you know, what is the best of society? Is it going to come through or is the worst of society yeah. going to come through? It's an interesting right. theory. And that's one thing. Uh, well, it's one thing that um, anybody who's been, and I'm going to say a combat zone in general, or has been uh, in a, at, to a natural disaster like Haiti or like responding to Hurricane Katrina or places like that, you see the real human nature of people. And yes, there are really good people that do really good things and do amazing things, but there's also guys that are going in people's houses and, and robbing and murdering people because the police aren't going to come. You know, I, I personally like to believe in my heart that we're all good, that their overall society is a good thing and that people do, and you know what I mean, that want to be good and stuff like that. But you know, there, there's a lot of uh, no, negativity. No, the team, your team wins the Super Bowl, and you burn, you burn your city down. Is kind of the the pressure right. in. Yeah. You know I mean? Yeah. As far as yeah. That's, it. Right. So that's kind of that's a bit much for me to, to be able to take in and process. So you know, okay, cool, got it. That's part of where the the idea behind. Okay, I'm a I'm a PTSD veteran, and clown paint. Okay, the Joker's pretty badass, and I was like, okay, well. Has there ever been a guy who was a clown that was in shape? Nope. Uh -uh. There's never been a buff clown in pro wrestling. I was like, okay, hold on. What can I do with this? And that was where it came from. Like, okay, well, I'm not going to, I'm just going to wear clown paint. I'm not going to wear anything else that like distinguishes me as a clown. And then my paint is going to be like, I'm going to take effort and make sure my clown, all the lines and everything are, are like exact because I'm a military guy. Everything's got to be perfect. Right. Yeah. Okay. No problem. So then, I came up with this idea. I watched a lot of people wrestle and stuff like that. And there's other guys that wear face paint, obviously. And the thing that I didn't like about their paint is it smudges. It either smudges or it stays perfect the whole match, right? And for me, I feel like it tells a story if your paint is falling off while you're fighting, you know? Mm -hmm. If I'm, I'm going out there and you hit me and a big chunk of my paint comes off, it tells a story. It means we're in a fight, you know? It's like watching um, vehicles in, like, war movies. They get hit and a big chunk of the paint comes off, whatever. Okay, got it. So then I'm like, okay, well, how can I, how can I get that effect? Acrylic paint. That's what I figured out. If I put acrylic paint on, when I sweat and somebody hits it, it a big chunk of paint will come off and it tells a better story that way. So then, uh, like, evolving, evolving, evolving. It's like, okay, well, what kind of, what design can I use, all this stuff? And that's how I came to the Captain Spaulding paint. It's like, okay, well, I always liked the House of Thousand Corpses. I like the Devil's Rejects. And uh, I kind of based part of my character off of his mannerisms because I couldn't pull off the Heath Ledger, Heath Ledger Joker at all. But I could kind of have that swaggering attitude of um, somebody gets in my face, you know, fuck you, fuck your mom, fuck your mom's mama. <laughs> and then, you know, just shit like that. Cause I'm a, I'm a, I'm not a really big dude as far as pro wrestling goes, but guys look at me and they get that thing like, this is going to hurt even if I win, you know? <laughs> so I'm like, Hey, play with that. That works. It's going to hurt them physically or emotionally because they're just beat down by a clown. A little of both, you know. I tell people in promos for wrestling, I don't have to win or lose. All I want to do is hear your bones break. And, so and you say that look at somebody dead square in the face. Yeah, yeah and it, it messes with them. They're like, that is creepy. I don't, know how to pro I don't know how to process that. And it's like, hey, no, that's the whole point. I'm, I'm, I'm working, you know, I'm doing my character things. Then I come out to the crowd. And people are like, oh, you screw you, clown, Bob, and this and that. And you point at some, you point at some lady and you say, hey, I recognize your perfume. 
You're leaning real close. You smell her. I'm like, what is that? The shit house door for tuna boat? You keep walking. <laughs> and you go to, there's a big fat guy. He goes, ah, you suck. I'm like, hey, honey, talk to his girlfriend. Hey, you better take advantage. This is the only ride you're going to get out of him tonight. And you better sit down. Otherwise, you're going to blow a clot from high blood pressure. And just keep, you know, talking shit to people. <laughs> Sorry, I just I, your alley, yeah, no, he's doing crowd work. It's it's exactly what I love doing yeah. uh, the most when I'm on stage because there's nothing funnier than um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Jimmy Pardo. He used to be the opener for Conan O'Brien, who works out here. And uh, Jimmy yeah. Pardo, the, the greatest thing about him is is he routinely, in the true Don Rickles fashion of insult comics, says, "I don't have an act. I just get out there and I just do. I just look." And I say, hey, what's up? This this guy. Uh, Pardo sees me in a crowd <laughs> and he recognizes me. And uh, he was just like, he goes, and uh, sir, uh, what is exactly uh, your name? And I was like, my name's uh, Raph Esparza. And he goes, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> like walks away. He's like, not a real name. <laughs> and so I'm like, <laughs> I'm looking great. at him and I go, oh, it's so funny. And so he's like, he comes over and he goes, well, what, what, what is that short for? Raphael? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, well, well, how come you just don't go by that? And I was like, because white people can't say it, right? And then he just, he stops dead in his tracks and he takes a big chuckle. And I was like, he goes, what do you do for a living? And I was like, I'm a writer. And he goes, yeah, okay. And he's done with me because he's like, oh. Great segue into, we completely avoided his nickname, which is El Weddle. Yes. Yeah, the white boy. Which most people can't say. In high school, I always got confused to why it was spelled with a G. Yeah. There's a kid named Weddle. Yeah. And I was like, who's Guero? <laughs> <laughs> so that that's a two-part uh i guess a two-part answer right so um short history lesson about me i was born in tijuana mexico my dad was a army at that point he was an army recruiter and he was stationed in san diego and uh my mom and my dad went down to ensenada and they were my dad was partying my mom was babysitting she went into labor they hauled ass back they got as far as tijuana she went into labor they had me Came back across the border, border guard sticks his head in. No bullshit. This is the way my dad tells the story. Flashlight, white guy, white person, white baby, go. That's it. So <laughs> that was them coming back across the border with their, their brand new baby, right? So they went to their OBGYN. And so I have a birth certificate from uh, Orange, California. But, but my, it says my place of birth is Tijuana, Mexico, July 12th. My, the date of my birth certificate is July 27th. So <laughs> kind of a... Uh, Kind of a funny story with that. That's so everywhere I've ever been, I tell people, yeah, I was born in Mexico. Like, oh yeah, what up? Yeah, what? Yeah, what up? White boy. And they're like, oh, that's awesome. Later, um, when uh, later when I was, I had trained pro wrestling. I trained under Chavo Guerrero Senior. And so, kind of that was a partially a thing to to honor my lineage of training a little bit. Is that I was uh, I was trained by one of the Guerreros, and. Um, the, uh, how it started coming up as a fight name, as like a ring name, is my character from pro wrestling is basically just an extension of my MMA, car- of, of my MMA career. And uh, my last MMA, uh, amateur MMA fight in Texas, actually last amateur MMA period, because the next time I went pro. Get out of sorry. Get out of there, Lucy. <laughs> sorry. Um, your dog I, uh, too, Raph. Hold on. Is your dog named Lucy? Yeah, Lucy B. Man, my dog's named Lucy as well. I thought for a second, I was like, how the hell do you oh, have my dog? Oh, look at us. Fate. It is fate. That is so cute. Yeah. That's um, English Bull Terrier. Her name is Lucy. English Bull. I got a French Bull. She was yeah. done. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, 
That's funny in a small world. But, Excuse okay, me, so, I'm just gonna. Uh, we're gonna sidetrack. Welcome back to the the Puppy Chow sponsored Talking Dogs and Pro Wrestling podcast. I have, I have. Yeah, I know, right? Cats. I have four cats. Three. Four. <laughs> anyway, a lot of cats. He, you know what I mean. He actually, in some circles, does qualify as a single lesbian. Uh, so he does get those perks. Does, does he have a hard part? In his head? Is it like a hard part and uh, kind of short on the sides and like all the comb to one side? Mm-hmm. You kind of got about the dogs, haircut? or are you talking about like my hair? What's well, going on? You know, your hair it's on, you, on your head. You're asking the guy who does crowd work. He said you... if he's talking to you, <laughs> if I part my mohawk <laughs> to the left or to the right, I don't. Is this a, does this turn? You gotta remember, bro. I don't know what you look like. I don't know what you look like. So you know, I was given my uh, girlfriend a middle-aged lesbian. Because... Apparently, that's funny. I uh, good. Well, that whole that whole lesbian haircut thing came up. I took my girlfriend's son to get his haircut, and that's he wanted a hard part, like shaved in his head, and he wanted it all the one way. And I couldn't, I couldn't look at him. I was like, oh, my God, he's got his hair cut like a 35-year-old lesbian. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, jeez. I'm like, Andrea's going to fucking kill me when I get home with him like this. Oh, my God. And I let him do it. Ah, fuck it. I'm not in charge. And so, <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, yeah, it was. I have to commit to the it was now. Yeah. And thank you for the next three months of my, my hair goals. So. Oh, yeah. No, then it was, yeah, that was funny. So I like the fact that you get that nickname, uh, and it does honor your lineage. Um, it also lets me know if shit runs sideways that I'm immediately asking for your papers. And it's rare oh, yeah. that brown people get to ask that of, you know, the lesser brown people, I guess, oh, like I have to call you. Uh, so I, I have my, my little Superman kryptonite just in case, break in case of emergency thing. That's uh well we're actually Danish is that my family comes uh, came from Denmark after World War or in the middle of World War Two, so we haven't been here that long. I'm so a it's Dane, kind of uh, a Dane from TJ, yeah. huh? That's uh... I know, right? I'm a Mexican Viking. That should be your gimmick. Can you yeah. run with that, please? I was thinking about it. There's a couple of teams doing Viking so... right now, but I'm like, I can I can do this better. Well. Valhalla Club and a Mexican Viking. Do you understand yeah. the opportunities that are afforded to you, my man? Do you understand that Vikings, of course. the show on right now, gets huge ratings? I oh, mean, Berserko. Yeah. I'm oh just, yeah, it's great. You can hus, you can totally hus in Espanol. Oh what yeah. Would, what would hus be in Spanish, Raf? Ole. <laughs> Uh, I do love that. I, so, you get all of these things, and you you have a great character, and you you're going with the clown. I appreciate that. I want to know this though. You kind of mentioned the MMA thing. Are you done with MMA? No, um, actually, I I got I quit getting offered fights. Is what happened. Okay. I had a manager that was trying to get me fights, and um, uh, the, the, with the jujitsu credentials, a lot of the guys didn't want that in their life. So um, my pro record officially is uh, two and two because they don't count two of the fights that I had on Indian reservations in Oklahoma. So technically I would be, I would be four and two, but they don't count two of them. So I have this two and two record in pro MMA 
And um, I'm also, you know, I've accomplished a lot in jujitsu. And, I'm, you know, I do combat sambo and stuff like that. So guys are like, yeah, I don't want that in their life right now. Plus, you tell them, okay, well, this guy, he fights at, at 205. And they look at me and they're like, nah, that's cool. Fight somebody else. <laughs> or they'll offer me a fight. I'll sign it two weeks later. Hey, I'm hurt. Hey, I'm injured. Whatever. Like, whole long laundry list of stuff. So um, the last fight I got offered was I got offered to fight uh, Rafael Lovato in Bellator. And originally it was a 205 fight is what I got offered. And I'm like, fuck yeah. Then I didn't I, like that meet right when the guy asked me, like, yeah, I'll worry about getting in sh- or getting I was, I was close to 205 anyway. I'm like, fuck yeah. Then they're like, okay, well, we want to go to 85. I'm like, no can do. I can do 80 or I can do 195. And they're like, well, we'll let you know. And then I never heard anything back. Next thing you know, they put out the card for that particular Bellator show and he gets some of the, some other guy to fight him at 85. I'm like, well, that sucks. Okay, but so then, yeah, I've been I have to... some familiarity. Lovato is a friend of ours. Uh, when w- the hard part about this is, in what way, shape, or form do they not think he's fighting at one eighty five? I don't know. That like, what kind of up. promoter is putting the... that together? I mean, Bellator. I, I've answered my own question, but when they're putting those things together somehow, even though, like, when you mentioned, it, I was like, "Damn, that'd be a good fight." But then I immediately started realizing, I was like. No, nah, man, that's a better, that's way more jujitsu than anything. And even then it's still kind of, okay, I guess I could see that it's more of an absolute kind of weight rather than an MMA fight. Just knowing where right. you tend to fight on your weight and where he tends to fight on his weight. Um, right. And uh, that's what threw me off. I'm like, okay, well, they want, they, the guy who, who uh, approached me with it said they wanted you to fight him at 80 or at uh, 205. I'm like, yeah, no, no problem. I like, I like fighting at 205. No big deal. Then they're like, then they came back, I think it was like a week later. Hey, no, 85. I'm like, I, I can't do 85. Yeah. And then I guess, um, I guess maybe the wires had gotten crossed or they had asked about me. Fight. I don't know. I don't know the whole situation. I never talked to people from Bellator. I just had heard, uh, I'd gotten the fight offered to me by a manager. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then he um, was trying through his thing to get, find out what's going on. And, you know, stuff happens. I think it would have been fun, plus it's Bellator, and, like, why not, you know? Absolutely. Even if I go out there and follow my dick, at least I fought for Bellator. And here's <laughs> the nice part is, is, like, so. you know, uh, his uh, he's got a great jiu-jitsu career, and he's a rising right. star in Bellator as well. That's a pretty prominent slot right. on a card. And would this be taking place in Oklahoma or out in the Midwest, kind of somewhere in there? Um, I believe when they asked me about it, it was, at, it was supposed to be at the Windstar in Oklahoma. Yeah. I think this was uh, – this was, I want to say, March of 2017, I believe. Yeah, that sounds about March right. March yep. And if I remember I correctly, he was, he was getting starting to get higher and higher on the cards. Like now, I think he most recently co-manevented. Yeah. But usually because if they go through mm-hmm. the region, he's a huge draw in that yeah. area. Oh, yeah. That's his home, home area, I believe. Uh, if I remember right, yeah, he's out of Oklahoma City. Well, maybe one of these days when uh, he finishes beating me up whenever he comes out to L.A., I'll be like, hey, what happened to that? He'll just be like, oh, Bellator, and I'll be like, fair enough. Uh, but, yeah, that, probably, that's... Uh, pro- they probably put feelers out to, like, four different people, and um, then they were like, well, these guys will do it at 85, whatever, or maybe that was what the original thing was. He was trying to get a 205 fight. And just said, "Hey, would you be willing?" And then uh, who knows? Yeah, I love me um, some Lovato. My thing is, though, but I'll tell you this right off the back: I don't like him at two hundred five. Yeah, 
Yeah, 205 is a weird weight class for some people. That's the, I mean, he's, he's um, always been super lanky, and I feel like when you're lanky, you have a responsibility to kind of use that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm. um, that's the guys that I've had the most problems with are guys that are, that are well, okay, most recently at the Honored Invitational, the heavyweight Honored Invitational, I lost to, um, was it, uh, uh, it's a guy from 10th Planet, um, I want to say Andy Shockoff or something like that. Yeah. He's a really accomplished jiu-jitsu guy, but he's like 6'4", and he weighs about 250. So how you know, there's nobody I can train with to get used to a guy that's 6'4", 250, and built like funny that can put a, his uh, heel on his chin. Yeah, what on know, you know, invitational I mean, was that? On an invitational five or seven? Uh, when a couple, when was that? Remember. Was that in December? When I did that. I think it was in September. Okay. I was about to say I'm not I wasn't sure if our wires had crossed where I was like I was just out there in December. I was about to be like I feel like I would remember yeah, a bigger think... human being. Uh <laughs> because those mats don't have a just to give you a heads up Mike, those mats particularly at the Ana Invitational and the next day at EVI, uh there's not really a safety barrier <laughs> and it was an absolute category no. for that EBI. So when you looked at all of the big guys going together and going at each other, I went up to each of them as I was photographing and I said, uh, guys, I'm going to make one thing clear. If you fall on me, you will never see a photo of yourself from me ever again. And you will never be on my podcast. <laughs> and they all were just like, no, Raph, it's okay. That's all right, Raph. And I was like, because yeah. it's different if it's a 145er and you can push him out of the way. If they get to be about 200 right. pounds, I have no recourse if they bull rush in at me. No, oh, yeah. You you just, know, there's there's you nowhere just, to go. Yeah. All you're saying is that you just pick on people that are smaller than you. That's all you just said. No, dork. You don't know at all what it's like to be on the sidelines when two people are no, engaged in combat and then they're running in your general direction. So no, I'm too busy running away from that. You know me. I'm on that treadmill trying to cut as much weight as possible so I can run away from guys like the widow and – Absolutely. Because the guys you're talking about not picking on your 200 pounders. Well, I, I guess guys. this is good to know, though, because I didn't want to close the door on your MMA career. I just get very selfish because if you're doing good things in pro wrestling and you went away when it was, you know, about 2004 ish and then you came back to it. I kind of want to see you do your thing there, man. I think you're the right size. You've got a good ability to work a mic. Um, and I think those are part of the elements that you need the rest is all kind of kismet and putting in the work and uh i think that your matches right, are yeah. good dude and, and besides as a jiu-jitsu guy i love I seeing that. a jiu-jitsu guy continue to thrive in this because one thing mike's been picking up is he's saying man are you seeing more and more of these guys using their martial arts as a form of pro wrestling and that's just from his observation do you see that as well right. Um, okay, so what I'm seeing is guys are uh, doing these sloppy, the, the sloppy, like, not safe versions of the stuff we do in jiu-jitsu. Mm -hmm. And so what I try to do is I try to show guys, hey, you can do this safely. You can do it fast. You can do it pretty. But the way you're doing it is, it, it, it's, uh, it, it's wrong. It's, it's really, really wrong. So then what I try to do is I'll show a guy, okay, this is, this is how you do that the right way. And this is how you do it safely. And they're like, oh, wow that looks way better. I'm like, well, this is real. Just be careful, you know? And then um, that's one of the things when I'm working with guys, I'm like, don't do anything. Just relax. I will do this. 
And so one of my moves from the, when the guy comes behind me, I do a judo hip toss into an inverted kikutami because that's one of my moves from pro wrestling. <laughs> and I tell him, just relax. Just relax. You'll be fine. I will put you where you need to be, and it won't hurt. And they're like, okay, cool. So then they get there, and they're like, yeah, I couldn't move. I'm like, yeah, if you moved, you'd hurt yourself. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oh, that totally makes sense. And then uh, one of my finishers that I like to use that if the other guy doesn't mess it up, it looks great. I call it the waltzing Matilda. And what it is is a, a scissor takedown into a, a straight knee bar. And um, I love that. It, I set it up with a snap kick, uh, inside snap kick to the face. So they, their hands come up and their head goes up mm-hmm. and it, it opens up their legs. And then mm-hmm. I, you know, scissor, uh, Kani Basami, judo, scissor takedown right into that knee bar. And um, it, it looks beautiful. And then I tell guys, when I put this in, tap right away. Yep. Well, you know, I'm like, no, this is a real move. Tap right now. Oh, okay. So that's one of the things that I do is I protect my submissions, unlike a lot of other guys do. Um, if I put submissions on a guy, it's like, you're tapping now or I will make you tap. Uh, I, love, like, oh, I love how you do the exact opposite, Raph. You go to train BJJ and then you try to break down the legitimacy of a sharpshooter or the walls of Jericho. <laughs> or, now, <laughs> I do have a Texas Cloverleaf uh, a baited... Um, a, okay, so... I don't like passing guys guards, especially if the guy's like 6'3". And so what I'll do is I'll bait him where he thinks he's got an omoplata. And I'll put my right hand on the floor on his, by his hip when I'm in his guard. And the next thing you know, he's miraculously going for his omoplata. So then what I do is I take my left hand and grab his, it'd be his right leg, and stick it across his omoplata leg underneath my right arm. And I grab his leg and I lift him up off the ground. So it's a cap cutter, uh, cap cutter slash hold mm-hmm. and it looks like a texas cold relief yep and that's one of my um pro wrestling moves i use in in uh jiu-jitsu that nobody ever seems to have an answer for that's so funny i uh i do the uh the weave pass when you're trying to pass and so you put that arm in between right. the two legs and so what'll end up happening is right. people will inevitably put up that knee shield so they'll try to stick that knee back mm-hmm. up so then i'll put a little bit of pressure on them when they try to push me off they're literally pushing themselves mm-hmm. into a Texas Cloverleaf because I just go with the momentum. Oh, yeah. And without fail, great. there are a number of people – because here's the thing. I don't think anybody's afraid to get, like, tapped, like, by an armbar by me or a Kimura. They're just kind of like, oh, right. that's part of the game. But they are deathly afraid of being put in sharpshooters, Boston Crabs, uh, a Texas Cloverleaf, a Crippla Crossface because they're just like, you find those entries – and the only reason I find it is is just because I tell them, I'm like, yo, if you watch this and this was what you first did, you know, one of the hardest things for me was when somebody was in turtle not finishing a crippler crossface and, like, cranking on their neck and being like, what's the problem here? They're oh, like, yeah. hey, Raph, maybe not. Oh, yeah. That was like, oh, okay, I won't. That's fine. Oh, yeah. I, crap, man. That's what I tell people. I grew up watching Hulk Hogan. I just never got any taller. So when I fought in the absolute division, I was like, uh, I, you know, I'm coming out there thinking I'm six foot eight, 300 pounds. I'm like, come on, let's go. And they're like, why is he not scared? <laughs> so that's amazing. Uh, well, let's do this. So I want to know what is coming down the pipeline for you. Uh, obviously people can go get the documentary. We'll do another plug for that in a second, but I want to know if people yep. are interested to see you wrestle, where can they see you wrestle, sir? Well, okay, so uh, this Saturday I will be in Corpus Christi, Texas for Victory Pro Wrestling. 
And then the 18th, I will be in San Antonio, Texas at Pika Pika Plaza for Tough in Texas Wrestling. Then the 24th, I will be in Katy, Texas at DZW, Domination Zone Wrestling. Um, I don't know what I have on the 25th because I don't have my calendar. I have a new phone. I don't have my, my updated calendar. But um, also, see, I got March 10th. I will be at Domination Zone Wrestling as well. Defending my lightning division title against should be against Luther Black. Um, the 24th of March, I will also be at DZW. Uh, I believe the 11th and the 18th of March, I have events also. There also should both be in San Antonio. Um, and then that's as far as pro wrestling stuff, there's that. I did get an offer to go to the um, the Carlampia uh, Samba World Cup, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to make that happen in March because it's a really short time frame to get my visa to Russia and get my flights and all that stuff lined up. So that probably won't happen, but hopefully, you know, if the, if the God's will, we can make it happen in March. So that'll be a, a fun little interlude going to Moscow and being, I don't think my jokes will work in Russian though, but you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But there's always the whiskey though. You fall back on. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that'll bring out a couple <laughs> Couple of hashtag callbacks. Gonna be a lot of a lot of a lot of comrades being like, "Don't let him in." No. They love me in Russia. Honestly, everybody was really cool. Everybody's like, "Oh, people, they're they're mean to Americans, all that stuff." I had nobody be anything but but super nice and, and accommodating with me. I don't think they um, would be mean to you because you're American. I just think from an economic standpoint, you drink a lot of my whiskey. I start to do the math. I'm just saying. Well, like, uh, they also don't tip in Moscow. I didn't know that. So um, uh, the the ATM machine gives out uh, 500, 1,000, 5,000, 10,000 ruble notes. And every dollar is 72 or 72 or 84 rubles, depending on which ATM machine you went to. So uh, Double Jack and Coke and, uh, was uh, uh, 850 rubles. 1,000 ruble notes, she gave me 150 back. I'd stick it in a tip jar. Didn't know that wasn't a tip jar. So she's getting big eyes at me, and I'm like, hey, you know, it's all good. Spanish doesn't work in, in Russian either. So she's like, hey, thumbs up, everything's good. Then um, by the end of the night, I realized she's not charging me for drinks. I'm like, oh, this is great. And, uh, you know, they're called last call. I'm like, all right, give me, give me four more. And then I, I would get ready to down them, and the bouncer comes up and goes, no, it's good, it's good. You finish, you finish. I'm like, rock on, bro. That's disco. Appreciate it. And so we got to finish my drinks and then go out and walk back to the hotel. But uh, no, it was really cool. Like everybody was really super nice to me. Um, even when I, uh, I had a terrible, terrible experience at the airport, uh, Air France deleted my ticket out of Moscow because they had to, when that terrorist attack happened, they deleted everybody's uh, seats going mm. into Paris. And so um, I had a reservation, but no, no seat. And uh, her name was uh, Katrina was, but it was spelled funny, but that's how she said it was Katrina. And apparently, okay, so everybody's seen James Bond flirt with these Russian women and like, oh, you know, it doesn't really work. It really does because Russian men do not flirt with Russian women at all. And our little bit of chatting up with Chick, trying to be polite, you know, oh man, you have pretty eyes, you know, you know, that's, I love that name, blah, blah, blah. 
got me way farther than I was expecting it to. I was just bored. I'm like, well, I need to stay calm because I just got my, t- my ticket deleted out of Mo- uh, to leave Moscow. I don't know what I'm going to do. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. I don't know who I'm going to call. And so I'm just like, ah, Katrina, you know, beautiful name, blah, 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 all this stuff. And then she's working on the thing. After about a half an hour, she just writes me a boarding pass and hands it to me. Damn. And she's like, I'm the guy. I'm the standby person upstairs. We, you are guaranteed. You have a reservation. Just no seat. We'll figure it out. I'm like, you know, spit the by. Rock on. So I go through the. I go through customs, and that was that was a trip. Leaving Russia, I couldn't find anybody to stamp my passport. I had to like standing in the thing, and there's like all these uh, metal detectors and everything, and everything's empty. And I'm like. Looking back, and there's nobody on this side of the thing leaving Moscow to go into the international terminal. So I just, I just whistled really loud. And this guy on the, the terminal side where people are coming into Moscow, like pushes himself back from the chair and looks at me. And I put both hands up and he puts one hand up. So I held up my passport and he like looked at me and put his thumb up and then went back into his little cubicle. That was my leaving Moscow. <laughs> I walked up the stairs and I was in the international terminal. I'm like, no shit. Okay. Fair enough. That was, that was me leaving Moscow customs. You got this whole world traveler gimmick down, dude. Yeah, it's like no you're shit, like man. a lucha Viking Bolshevik at this point. I mean, why aren't we getting you on... I mean, why aren't we getting you on international circuits for wrestling? It seems like maybe your home audience is probably somewhere between it. Mexico and Russian audiences. Oh, man. Um, I love Mexican audiences. I work a lot of uh, Hispanic crowds. And uh, that's one of the things. I come out there. I have them build me from Tijuana, Mexico, fighting out of San Antonio, Texas. <laughs> Immediately, Road Warrior pop. You know, the crowd's like, out of, oh, boy. Out of, out of Moscow, Russia. Like, just, oh, yeah. keep, on, just keep on going down. Uh, <laughs> conceived in... Um, Where's know, the right? Danish? Where's the Denmark? Uh, <laughs> Sorry, that's... It was, what the hell is it? I, don't, I used to know the name of the village that we're supposed to be from, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. Are there Mexicans <laughs> in Russia? Oh, I'm sure there are. Somebody's got a... Wow, oh, I can't say that. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't. I can't. I'm half Mexican. I can say that. Yeah, no shit. I was about to say. I was Viva, like... Viva la raza. <laughs> to our, our very, very potent uh, Mexican demographic... Uh, we're very sorry that uh, that the old fast pass over here thinks that he can uh, get away with that sort of stuff. Uh, to be fair, all my uh, all my like for the last ten years, all my all my girlfriends have been Hispanic. This is the first time I'm dating a white girl, friend. so it's really really hard for me to get used to dating a white girl. That's the same thing. Uh, I don't have any Puerto Rican friends. I don't think. No wait, no, I do. I do. I really do. Okay, but he pretends he his character he plays uh, an Arab, like no bullshit. He's a big Puerto Rican dude. He's about the size of a refrigerator, and he plays a prince from the United Arab Emirates. And he asks you, and he sends you emails and asks you for three hundred thousand dollars a time. No, 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 no. no. He's a uh, oh, that's not my like, bad. That's Nigerian. I'm getting all these racist. I know, right? This is just such a melting. No, I thought that's how. Uh, I thought that's how uh, the Black uh, Black Panther Prince got all of his money was from the Nigerian email scams. That's the storyline to the upcoming Black Panther uh, Marvel movie. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. I want to point out, if you don't understand, this is why professional wrestling is great, in that you can literally have a conversation like this and discuss someone's storylines of like, no, 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 no. 
Like they're getting paid to just be racist, but it's amazing. Uh, and understand that that oh, yeah. is one of the hidden beauties of this sport of no, 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 Whoa, no, sir. homeboy is Cuban, but he's playing a prince. And you think to yourself, like, oh, oh shit, that's going to be a fun role. Story about that, how we got a show to lose a sponsor by doing a gimmick like that. Um, so uh, one of my good friends, he, his Syrian national, former military person that got disfigured in the face in Syria fighting the Russians. Then he moved to the United States and became a pro wrestler, right? So his gimmick, that's his gimmick. We're working a dog collar match, and he's doing his prayers and stuff like that. And I'm an American combat veteran who's fought in Iraq a couple of times. Maybe I don't cotton too much to that whole uh, gimmick, right? So I came out with a shamrock, and when he was praying, I threw it over my head, and I'm, I'm, I'm mimicking his, his prayers, right, making fun of him. He gets mad, and he, you know, I, like, so I take it off, and I stand there in the corner, and I wait for him to start praying again, and I, I whip it, and I snap him in the ass with it. He gets mad, and when I turn my back, he attacks me in the corner. We don't think anything of it. The crowd pops. They love it. It's a, we're, we're making fun of ourselves, you know, because he's a Mexican, and I'm a, I'm a Mexican. It, he's pretending to be Syrian. Neither one of us are actually Muslim. We're just you know, we're telling a story. We're entertaining the crowd, right? Yeah. So, anyways, next day, we get a phone call. Hey, you guys, uh, you guys cost us a sponsor. What? How? What do we do? Like, I'm trying to run it through my head. Like, what could we have possibly done that would cause anybody to lose a sponsor? We're, in, we're working in Houston, Texas. Like, what, what is that? I didn't cuss. I didn't say anything stupid. I'm like trying to think, like, I didn't even do anything dumb this time. So, uh, yeah. like, yeah, so there's a problem with God. I might have signed you for sure. Oh, geez. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, so this Krav Maga school gets mad uh, because of the, that I picked on the Muslim guy. And we're like, well, no, no, it's cool because he's not really Muslim. That was just the, the, the um, I guess, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Guy went off, starts yelling and screaming that it's not cool to, to have somebody pretending to be Muslim and all this stuff. And he pulls the sponsorship. And the first thing I say, well, if, it's, if he's Muslim, why the fuck was he doing Krav Maga? Because <laughs> that's an Israeli thing. He should yeah. be Jewish. And they're like, you don't get to talk to anybody anymore. I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> so yeah, we, I want to I want to point something out. You're familiar yeah. with uh, Yoel Romero, yeah? <clears throat> yeah, uh, okay. and Stoolgate and how he got TKO'd fighting uh, Tim Kennedy and set for 30 extra seconds and yes. then didn't make weight for his title fight. Yeah. Correct. Uh, I don't like Yoel Romero. You, I don't know if you can tell. Well, here's the thing. I know Tim Kennedy is yeah. near and dear to everybody's hearts. Uh, he's a friend of our podcast. He's my homie. I, I was about to say, you training out there, once you mentioned Gracie, I was like, damn, dude. But the role with you and him must be uh, epic. Uh, but he is... No, it's, it's Russell, getting Russell raped. It's, it's miserable on oh, so many levels. Dude, and here's the thing. is like, you know, <laughs> uh, he and I, you know, we've, we've done... He's been on our show. He's super nice. And, like, he's always talking about oh, yeah. that, that real, like, yeah, dude, jujitsu's great, wrestling's great, I love being in this, I love doing this. And then I think it kind of comes to that moment where normally at the end I say, like, hey, man, if you're ever in town, you know, I'm free to train or blah, blah. I get to that point, I'm like, if you're around, um, I'll grab lunch with you. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not stupid enough. I, I've seen your, your work. If you can neutralize Hodger Gracie, one of the world's best jiu-jitsu practitioners, uh, just doing your thing, whew, no thank you, my man. 
Uh, but Tim, yes, yeah, Tim did a... fight Yoel Romero. And if you may remember, uh, this is an exact impression, but Yoel Romero is the guy also responsible for, No, I love you! Don't forget gay Jesus! Okay, so he's that guy, right? So yep. over the weekend, we put up a meme on the Verbal Tap page, and uh, it was of gay Jesus turning around, and it was him making a shh kind of gesture. And the joke was... That's uh, if you ask gay Jesus if he wants to know how the Yoel Romero fight turned out. Okay? So, pretty pretty simple <laughs> joke. Great. And we wanted to take it a little bit yeah. off center of how people do it. This is an actual email or response. We got a lady who slid into our DMs. Uh, DMs for Jesus is how we're coining it. But this is what she said. Oh, geez. This picture is really offensive. Not that I'm the most religious person in the world. And if somebody says that, immediate red flag. And you have the right to your own beliefs, but you do not have the right to make fun of mine. Please respect Christians and removes, not remove, removes this post. So here's the interesting thing about this to me. Uh, I don't know if she is somebody who worships the gay Jesus. And if we were being (laughs) offensive to the gay Jesus, because when she says it's her Jesus, I'm like, ah, okay, cool. So... When we get notes like this, it's a great reminder that if you're going to a pro wrestling show or, say, coming on to a comedy podcast's page. Oh, geez. Yeah. You really you you have to have a certain sensibility of, okay, cool. We're all here to do a thing. And if you want to be part of it, you're more than welcome to. But the minute you try to make your thing more important than our thing, you don't have to show up. So oh, yeah. that's exactly. the one thing that that's the difficult part. And that's the hard part for me is in pro wrestling. I do think sensibilities change and yes, you do want it to be, uh, you know, suitable for families. I get that whole element. There is a real thing to that, but I think a lot yeah. of the times the beauty of pro wrestling is it can enlighten. It can give you a different yeah. perspective on something or at the very least entertain the things that make us feel like shit every single day. So, or it can be fabulous. Well, I mean, gay Jesus Honestly, is I, all about I, that. I have a, a, an idea for a gimmick that I want to do that I think would be fairly epic. It's, it goes off the same thing. Of, I, I like to do stuff that people aren't doing. So as a pro wrestler, I'm a body guy. I come out there. I've got the six pack. I've got the, I have no neck. I have, you know, big arms, big legs, all that stuff. I don't flex when I come out. I don't because people expect that. You know, I don't come out there and do the Hulk Hogan pose down and stuff like that, except for sometimes at certain shows when it's, uh, I'm using it to set up me getting attacked. But I don't do that because people expect that. If you're a body guy, you're going to come out and pose down and stuff like that because, you know, so I don't do that. What I came up with, and I thought this would be perfect, especially the way that people are being all weird and sensitive right now, I wanted to do a, a variation of Dr. Frankenberger <laughs> with the... The the fishnet, the frilly the frilly pants, the corset, the fishnet armbands, the uh, freaking uh, beads, and I wasn't gonna shave my beard. I was just gonna put on that funky like the afro puff that that Tim Curry had, yeah. red lipstick and eyeliner and all that bullshit, and come out there and then be all effeminate until I took the wig off, and then come out like an ass kicker. You know what I mean? And then have people be like, "What the hell is that?" You know what I mean? Because I thought it would be so it'd be topical. And it would be funny because people would be like, well, what do we do? Nobody that looks like that has ever done that, you know? You're, That's why it'd be funny. You're, but I can't uh, get it. 
I can't get anybody in Texas to book it. Well, definitely That's not in Texas. Maybe you need to come out to one of the yeah. the, the cities. Uh, you should call it your left-leaning tour and then just be like, hey, just book me on these. Then go to your red-leaning tour, have an entirely yeah. different act, uh, and fucks with it. Dude, uh, first of all, I love oh, – yeah. this is why I love uh, – when you talk to people in the military, they have no issue of being like, yeah, I'm a cr- fucking cross-dress, and it's going to be amazing. You think Bugs Bunny had that shit down? Oh, yeah. I'm going to put him to shame. The minute Tim Kennedy put on a wig to be Katy Perry, he was like, I will out Katy oh, Perry. Oh, yeah, it was great. Katy Perry. No one will ever tell me anything. And then the Black Swan thing? Dude, yeah, it was just, great. <laughs> such a goof. But I love that's where you, you oh, go yeah. at, man. Um, well, let's do this. Okay. You know, Eddie, I want to cut this short for today, but would you be willing to come back on the no show problem. sometime in the near future, my man? Of course, of course. Well, we're going to want to catch up with you because it sounds like you have so many things going on. And who knows, for any number of things, you might be back to MMA fighting or a a big jiu-jitsu match. Um, But we're hoping that you stay and and continue entertaining in pro wrestling. Where can people find you on the internet, sir? All right, so I've got an Instagram page. It's um, Hold on, let me look at the sticker so I get this right. (laughs) At Eddie Witter underscore official. (laughs) <laughs> well, there's, there, I'm at my girlfriend's house. She happens to have one of my stickers right here. So I'm like, okay, let me make sure I got this right. I just want to make sure that if you don't know your own Instagram name, I I think that's like bare minimum. Well, how often do I add myself on Instagram? You know Thank what I mean? You. I, I don't... Hey, Raph, God, I've been telling you that, like, and I've been telling you it's all about not flexing either. I don't need to be flexing. I don't need to be flexing I on wanna, Twitter I either. Just I don't even know how to do You either. want simplicity, and you want to remember it. It's not like your password on the internet that you forget it's something that you want people to follow right no i just wanted to make sure i got it right that's sure. the thing so it's eddie witter and underscore official on um on instagram and then on facebook it's eddie witter if you look that up there's only two of us if you spell it right <laughs> yeah not eddie written for those <laughs> it's uh well it's eddie okay, i'm sorry Eddie El Weto Witter is how it comes up. And that's my fighter page is one of them. And then there's the, my personal page is the one with the hot chick and the red dress sitting on my shoulder. That's my personal page. And it's Eddie Witter and then in parentheses, Eddie Scott. So that's my, uh, my personal page. I'm probably going to take down my fighter page because I don't really know. I don't really do a whole lot with it. Um, and honestly, I don't have enough. I don't have enough people on my um on either one of them to really have to worry about it for right now. So I'm probably just add me on my, on my personal page and we'll go from there. That's Um, great stuff. Well, you also have the documentary. People can find that on uh, what platform, Mike? Vimeo? Vimeo? It's Vimeo. I'm probably saying it wrong. Why do you ask? How can I'm the voice of reason on the Vimeos? You were the one that was so fucking vocal about it, though. Yeah, I mean, who's really (laughs) buying shit off of that? You don't see television advertisements for that. I just took I just took my spot when I could. You know what I mean? All right. Well, let's say this. It's uh, Vima On Demand. You guys can find it. It's the Valhalla Club documentary online. I believe it it is. uh, If you guys are looking for it, you can't find it. The guy who is the uh, maker of it you can look up scars and stripes and that will get you to the individuals who are making it um, i would highly suggest you guys support them because uh, i feel like documentaries like this not only give uh 
validation to the people who have served our country. But more importantly, uh, it shows that those intersections between pro wrestling, jiu-jitsu, MMA, uh, good mental health, all of those things that we easily get behind, we want to make sure that we, we show that people enjoy that content and that there is an audience for all of those. So I want to say a big, big thank you to our, our good friend, Eddie. Eddie Wittern, you, you've got an amazing story. Thank you so much for spending so much time with us. We very much appreciate you coming on the hey, show. Hey, no, tonight. guys. Thank you very much. I, uh, I really appreciate it. When I get out to California, hopefully I should be out there and uh, uh, should be out there in uh, November, December, whenever they they do Nogi World. That's my that's my jam. I'll be out there for that. Hopefully, we can do a live podcast then. That'd oh, be, that'd, be, that'd be badass. That'd be phenomenal. That'd be sweet. Absolutely, yeah, man. Be and sweet. it would. Uh, you know, we will definitely look to make that happen. I always keep a big look as to when Nogi Worlds happens. So the minute I know, you should know. That'll be great. I'm excited. Hopefully, uh, it probably won't happen. I got passed over for black belt last year and i'm at a new gym so i probably won't get my black belt this year but i'll win it at brombo so we'll do that it'll be awesome oh dude i i don't think it's yeah. gonna matter what belt you're at i think you're you're pretty okay where you <laughs> wherever they stick you i think you're gonna be just fine uh well our thanks to <laughs> eddie Wittern. uh thank you so much my man i appreciate that thank you guys <laughs>